We are all miracles and must make the most of our limited time here. Each of us have these unique gifts to contribute to the world. And it's our job to develop these gifts and give them away. That's why I created the Preschool SLP podcast. The Preschool SLP is about working smarter to create real change in ourselves and in others. Being an SLP is a mission. It's about showing up every single day. It's about giving all of yourself. It's about evaluating your work. It's about innovating practice to change lives. Every single week, let's discuss topics that matter. What are the game-changing strategies? How can we treat the whole child? How can we create the truest and shiniest versions of ourselves and of our clients? We're here at the drawing board for a reason. You bring your own unique gifts. Together, let's create better. Today, we are going to discuss an extremely important topic. We're going to talk about how we can COVID-proof our therapy. We want to know how can we ensure that we can continue to make gains with the expectation that we're going to have much lower attendance and much less time to work with because COVID is simply not going anywhere. So the question is, what can we do with the expectation that we're going to have much less time allotted in therapy to create change? Now, this is a very important question because we know that right now at the preschool level, neuroplasticity is at an optimal level in which we can create lifelong change and literally rewire the brain. Now, what we're not gonna have at our disposal is the gift of time. We're gonna have a very limited resource in the sense of time. So the question is, what can we do with that limited resource to ensure that we're creating optimal change in the brain? Well, what we know from the latest body research and the latest brain research is that the body and the brain are very similar in how they respond to intervention. So for instance, we know that both the brain and the body respond very similarly and that they flourish if they have a good diet, if they have good sleep, if they have good stress, if they have good educationally rich and challenging new experiences. These are optimal conditions for both the brain and the body to develop. So when we look at what can we use, how can we use our time more effectively to change the brain in the same way that we change the body? So suppose that you hire a personal trainer. And the personal trainer is a very good personal trainer. They're about $500 an hour and you have very limited time. And you tell that personal trainer, I can only see you for two 20 minute sessions a week. Now, can that personal trainer create change? Yes. How can that personal trainer create change? First, 
the personal trainer is going to have to use that time very efficiently. So that means the personal trainer cannot work on small muscle groups one at a time in an isolated manner. So the personal trainer is not going to say, okay, let's work on some wrist curls, move those wrists. Okay, we only have 20 minutes to work with. So instead of working on wrist curls, the, the personal trainer is going to say, let's do burpees in which we're engaging every muscle group in the body. And we're not only building strength, but we're also building endurance. So what they're going to look at is how can I tax every muscle group and how can I improve both your strength and your endurance in one movement because they only have 20 minutes to work with. So we're going to keep this in mind. Are they going to give you very, very light weights? Are they going to say, here's a one pound dumbbell and why don't you do a few hundred reps? No. We don't have time for that. They're going to give you heavier weights that actually challenge you because challenge creates change. So we know that these principles really work and there's a plethora of research to show that by using total body movements that tax multiple systems at once, you're going to take and have more change in the body and less time. We also know that by increasing the weight, you can have greater change and less time. So how do we take these principles in our work and therapy? What we can do are two things. One, we can have more complex treatment targets. So the greater the challenge, the greater the change. If you're going to work on the simplest treatment target, the next in line, okay, the child has problem, the child just learned, uh, the child just learned F, now let's work on V. That's like doing wrist curls. We're just gonna work on the next one sound and that's only gonna improve one sound. That's not how we're gonna spend our time. We don't have that time to waste. You don't have a lot of time. And if you want to see change, you need to challenge the child. So what we're going to do instead is we're going to work on the most complex treatment target possible with all of your support, with all of your cueing. When I say all of your cueing, I'm talking, I want to see the visual cueing temporal using your body and space and large motions. I want to see the auditor cueing in which you're speaking in unison with each other. We also want to see the ta tactile cueing in which the child might have to touch their lips to know if the lips are together or not because of poor proprioception. We are going to start, starting place, day one, with the most challenging target that the child can produce when we empty our toolbox out and we give the child every tool we have. 
This is the scaffolding. If you've ever looked at a skyscraper, you will see it. It's all scaffolded. All you see are these metal frames that have yet to be removed to make that skyscraper as tall as possible. You go as high as possible. And it is so heavily scaffold. It's all scaffolds. That's the starting point. So is it too hard? Is there something that's too hard? Yeah. If the child can't produce it, when you empty out your toolbox and give them everything, we don't want to do that. So if the child is saying W for R, we don't want to work on the R then because practice makes perfect, but practice also makes imperfect. We don't want that. But what we do want is we want to take the child as high as the child can go, giving 100% of what we have available in our toolbox. And form does matter because practice makes imperfect. We don't want to habituate an error. So we want to go for those three element consonant clusters if you're working in speech sound disorders. We want to go if you're working at language and narratives in which you're sequencing multiple ideas together using those temporal terms first, then, next, lastly. We want to use those and tell stories. We're giving a maximum level of cueing in doing so. We are holding the child. We are together. We are giving a hundred percent to take that child to the highest level possible on day one. If we're talking about vocabulary, we want to use those big academic words, those tier two words, and it will give us a lot of coverage across academic subject matters, such as first, then, next, lastly, that helps sequence ideas and describe ideas. We want to go for the gold and we're going to do it together. So we're going to go as high as possible and we're going to give them every cue available simultaneously. And then it ensures success at an 80% accuracy level. So if we're below that 80% accuracy level, that's not good. If we're below that 80% accuracy level, we risk two things. One, we risk habituation of an error. So the error through practice is becoming stronger and more ingrained. We don't want that. Secondly, we risk frustration. And we don't want that as well. If we go at an 80% accuracy level where they're correct eight out of 10 times, we're at a perfect challenge point. And it's enough, enough challenge that we're creating change. If we're above that and the child is accurate 90% of the time, that's too high. We're not challenging the child enough. So we're going to want to remove some of those cues that we're giving them to challenge them more so that they're at that 80% challenge point. So that is one thing we're going to do is we are going to select 
complex treatment targets is high, just like when we lift, just like if we're lifting weights, okay? So here I'm gonna lift right now my 25 pound dumbbell, okay? I can lift this 25 pound dumbbell because I have good form. If I don't have good form, I'm going to have to go to a lighter weight. In a similar way, if you don't have good form, you're gonna to have to go to an easier treatment target and you're gonna to have to shelf that harder target until the child is able to produce it correctly given a maximum level of cueing. We can go back to it as the child gets stronger. Just like in weightlifting, maybe 25 pound dumbbells, that's not your thing today, but maybe it will be next week as you get stronger. So what is the second thing we can do? What else can we do to help this child make progress when neuroplasticity is at its highest level? This is high stakes that we're doing here. This is lifelong train change that we're creating. So what we're also going to wanna do is we're gonna work, wanna work multiple systems at the same time. So what I like to do is I like to take the speech targets. So if I'm working on speech clarity and I want to put them in a complex paragraph syntax. So I'm also improving not only speech, but I'm improving the length and the complexity of the language. On top of that, in terms of the vocabulary, I want to use those narrative temporal words that also improve executive function. First, next, then, lastly. These are tier two vocabulary words that will give coverage for the child across academic subjects. These are golden. These are pivotal skills that I want to be automatic for the child that the child can use these terms in their sleep, just like driving a car. They do it so much that these temporal terms are automatic to them so that they can easily sequence their ideas and they can share their thoughts in telling a story. So if they're having problems, if they had a rough day at school, if they have an academic challenge or personal challenge, which children with communication impairments are more likely to have, they can have an easy way to convey their thoughts to others. Okay, and that will lessen the behavior issues, being able to communicate academic and personal um, um, challenges. So those are, two, those are two areas we wanna think about. One, creating greater challenge, and two, working multiple systems at the same time. So what I found when I work a paragraph, I have children memorize a paragraph. That's really what they're doing. They're memorizing the paragraph. And there's a reason for that, because I want it automatic. I want them to know backwards and forwards how to say this complex paragraph. Because when they're able to do that, some things happen that are really great. One, they're able to be the teacher. There's an internal locus of control. They're in charge of their learning. They know the target. 
My job is now to assist them as they take the lead. They're doing the talking and ensuring proper form. Very much like a personal trainer, you can't do a child's push-ups for them. But what you can do is you can ensure that the joints are all in line. You can ensure that the form is proper. So you can stop them and go, I, oh, angry dog teeth. And do a call out as a reminder when they get to that word scrape so that they have that nice form. And they're the teacher and they're in charge. And nothing is more encouraging for them than to say, oh my goodness, you're the teacher now. I didn't even say anything. I'm the student. I'm learning from you. And I think the reason that is so motivating to the children we work with is because communication is power. And when you are an effective communicator, you have control. You have control over others and and how you interact with others. You have control over your environment. And when you don't have the ability to communicate, you naturally lack control in your interactions with others and in your interaction with the environment around you. When you, when the child knows the paragraph, when the child's in charge of the target, the child is the teacher and the child is control and nothing is more motivating than that for a child with a communication impairment. And the reason for that is because they've been deprived of control. Now that is my opinion, but that's what I found in approximately 20 years of working as a speech language pathologist with children with communication impairments. Control is extremely important because control is so deprived of someone with a communication impairment. So when you give them that paragraph and they own that paragraph and that paragraph is theirs, they're in control. And as I mentioned before, we are efficiently working multiple systems. We're efficiently working the speech clarity and having three element clusters. We're efficiently working the language and having them say a complex narrative. We're efficiently working the vocabulary and teaching them the golden two tier two words that will give them great coverage throughout life. We're also improving their attention. I think that this, especially when you're working with children with complex communication needs, is of pivotal importance. I find the greatest gains in working on the paragraph, not with the children with mild to moderate speech impairments, speech and language impairments. I find the greatest gains for the children with complex communication impairments. And those are the children with autism. Those are the children with Down syndrome. Those are the children with cognitive impairments. Those are the children with other sorts of syndromes that globally impact them. And I think the reason these children are benefiting so much from the paragraph, remember they're saying a paragraph in the beginning, 
with a maximum level of support with everything that you can possibly give them to make it possible. One foot after the next, one step at a time. You just keep going. Starting's the hardest part. Just keep going. What happens is they develop attention. I think that social media is onto something. Attention is invaluable, particularly for children with complex communication needs. So the children with the complex communication needs, what you're going to see with them is that when they develop attention, which is a foundational skill for which all learning is going to develop, you need attention. When you have attention, you're going to see spontaneous improvements in language spontaneous improvements in behavior, spontaneous improvements in socialization, spontaneous improvements in vocabulary, spontaneous improvements in motor skills, and spontaneous improvements in play. You are going to see improvements globally from working with children with special needs, especially complex needs, because many of them, what they're lacking is attention, is an underlying skill that must be developed for other skills to ensue. It's kind of like when you're working out, if you have aerobic endurance, for instance, I'm going to use this as an example. I can get aerobic endurance from cycling on a bike in a spin class. That aerobic endurance will transfer to me becoming a better runner or me becoming a better swimmer or me becoming more proficient at walking or any other sport. It's an underlying foundational skill that has a cascading effect on other areas. Attention is like that. It's this underlining neurological skill that when you develop attention and an improved ability to one, orient your attention, which is number two, to maintain the attention. Number three, to shift your intention, attention. When these abilities are improved, everything else starts spontaneously developing. So we can do so much by improving attention when neuroplasticity is at its highest level. So the two takeaways that I'm leaving you with today to COVID-proof your therapy, to make great progress during this time, despite attendance expecting to be maybe half what it would normally be, are two things. One, more challenging treatment targets. We've got to increase the challenge of the target with less time to spend. We don't have the time for a high number of reps or for a long period of practice. We must increase the challenge. 
We have to work at a level that is at the child's challenge point. And we can do that by emptying out our toolbox and giving the child every scaffold possible. Number two, the second takeaway from this session is that we have to think about how we can tax multiple systems at once. What I like to do and what has been highly effective, you can check my research out on ResearchGate. Check it out. It's great. I do very stringently designed experimental research. And what I find is that you can tax A, speech, language, vocabulary, and attention through using a paragraph. It's kind of like the burpee. Work every muscle group. Work the strength, work the endurance as well. And what's going to happen as a result of that is you're going to get greater gains and less time because you're working multiple systems simultaneously. So those are the two takeaways that are extremely important because what we're doing here is very high stakes. What you're doing today is going to affect almost the next hundred years of this child's life. It's very important that we make optimal gains today when neuroplasticity is at its highest level. So thank you so much for being here with me today and joining me at the drawing board to create a better tomorrow. Go take on the world and go make it a better place. If you like this podcast, make sure to give it a glowing review and share it with a friend. I'll see you next Thursday.